welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I can speak from testimony, personal testimony. It's a pretty amazing thing, and I am very thankful to be one myself. Happy Father's Day. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. As a brief review of last time we looked at this uh, letter to Timothy together, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to his younger co-worker in the faith, Timothy. Timothy had previously been sent to Ephesus in order to correct um, certain errors that had crept into the church and also to establish um, some good practices at the church in Ephesus. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, at the very center of the letter, Paul gives his general purpose for writing this letter to Timothy. He says, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So as we study this year, the book of First Timothy, or the letter of First Timothy, this will be our focus of how to live as the church of the living God, always holding high the truth. Last time we studied chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, focusing on Paul's charge to Timothy to guard the gospel. Certain men in Ephesus had strayed from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, adding their own opinions to the truth. Paul says these men have wandered away into vain or worthless discussion without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. To leave behind the teaching of the words of God and move on, advance, or progress to something higher or some higher understanding or way of life is in reality to stumble and fall into a pit of worthless pursuits. But in verses 11 through 17 today, we will see a brief testimony of the glory and power of God through the true gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that no one has to add to it or take away from it to make it powerful and effective. I pray, Lord, that everything that is said here today would be honoring to you and, and would glorify you. I pray that you would bless those who are hearing the words of God, and I pray that you would bless me as I seek to faithfully represent your words. Would the, both the hearers and the one speaking today leave here worshiping, rightly honoring and glorifying you as God alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 11, Paul says that he has been entrusted with the gospel 
of the glory of the blessed God. My hope this morning is to briefly unpack this description of the gospel and then to walk with you through Paul's personal testimony of how this gospel has affected and impacted his own life in verses 12 through 17. So first, the gospel in verse 11. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. Euangelion carries with it the imagery of a soldier who's running through the countryside as fast as he can in order to bring the message, the good news of victory on the battlefield. When Christians speak of the gospel, they're referring to the good news that the promised one, Jesus, has come and accomplished salvation or victory for his people. Paul then adds that this is the gospel of the glory of God. The glory of God is the revealing of his character, splendor, beauty, power, and worth. So to the extent we taste and see his glory today is the extent to which we get to daily live in his presence. Some translations say the glorious gospel, but the point is that the gospel is primarily focused with the glory of God, revealing his infinite beauty and worth. At first glance, this phrase may not make much sense. The the gospel of the glory of God. Why is it good news that God is being revealed to us? In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we get to see a, uh, something that helps us understand why this is good news. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Did you see what it said there at the beginning of verse 3? It says that Jesus... God, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God, the Father, the exact imprint of his nature. This means that Jesus is the shining forth, the visible display of the glory of God. When we encounter Jesus in the scriptures, we encounter God. We encounter his glory When the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear Jesus, then we get to experience the glory of God. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12. He says, whoever sees me sees him who sent me, God the Father. 
With this in mind, we begin to see that Paul was entrusted with the good news of God's infinite beauty and worth being revealed in and through Jesus Christ. God the Father has determined to reveal himself, his mercy, his grace, his patience, his love, and his impending wrath by sending his Son. Finally, in 1 Timothy, Paul says that God is the blessed God. This is not so much Paul praising God by blessing him. Instead, this points to who God is. He is the blessed God. He is blessed. This means that all eternal fullness, joy, contentment, completeness, worth, pleasure, and beauty are in Him. Every good and desirable thing is found in Him. He is complete, full, blessed, and It is his delight to share his blessed condition with his children. That's why this good news is so good. Because God, the God who revealed, is revealed in and through Jesus, is the only one who can offer everlasting forgiveness, peace, fullness, pleasure, and joy. Without him, there may be temporary pleasure temporary, fleeting joy. But in reality, without Him, there is only eternal guilt, emptiness, pain, and sorrow. All those who repent of their sins and believe on Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will be forgiven their sins and will gain the blessed This is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which Paul had been entrusted. And with that in mind, we move into verses 12 through 17. Paul gives us a glimpse of his personal testimony of how God accomplished this in his own life. Beginning in verse 12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Something helpful to see in this passage is that this portion of scripture gives believers one example of how to tell others about the good news. Through our personal testimony of what God has accomplished in us. He tells Paul tells of his own need of mercy and grace 
because he was once an enemy of Christ and living in unbelief. Next, he throws in the, one of my favorite phrases, but God. And in this case, he says, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners just like me. Sinners just like Paul. And finally, he finishes in his testimony. He says, now his life's purpose is to glorify God and to be a witness to the lost of what Christ had done for him. That was a very brief synopsis of Paul's testimony, but it helps us see how simple it is to tell others what Jesus has accomplished in our own lives. The good news. Some conversations will be short, like this one. Others may last a whole hour. And then other conversations, especially with loved ones, feel like they might go on for an entire lifetime. But thankfully... The power of conversion does not rest in us, in our wisdom or ability. Instead, the Holy Spirit of God through the words of God brings life and light into dead and darkened hearts. The only reason we have a part in the gospel, in the spread of this gospel, is because God delights to use us as his ambassadors as his messengers, as his witnesses of his glory and grace. This is our privilege. It is an honor to be the messenger of the king, to be the soldier who is entrusted with the good news of victory on the battlefield. So how did this come about in the life of Paul? Let's look more closely at his testimony. In verse 12, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Here Paul is pointing to the strength Jesus had given him in order to serve as an apostle, missionary, pastor, and evangelist. Paul knew that he could only serve the Lord and accomplish anything for the kingdom of God to the extent that Jesus strengthened him. It's so easy to forget that every good thing in me and flowing out of me is a gift of God's grace. And here Paul highlights the gift of strength for service. Paul names the one who is the source of his strength, Christ Jesus, our our Lord. Christ or the Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. The Christ is is the promised Savior of God's people. Paul also calls Jesus our Lord. To call Jesus our Lord or the Lord is to call him our master, the one in charge, the owner. Humans are called masters or lords, pointing to their ownership and authority over lands and peoples. But when God is called the Lord, It is pointing to his ownership, authority, and sovereignty over heaven and earth. And when Paul calls Jesus our Lord, it declares that we belong to Jesus. He is our master and we are following him. Paul goes on to say that the reason he he was given strength by Jesus is because he had been judged faithful or trustworthy. From the time of his conversion, Paul had lived faithfully based on what he understood and according to the grace that had been given to him. Jesus calls each one of us to follow him 
by faith with the grace that he has given us for today. Jesus is not disappointed in you because you haven't walked on water like he did. Preached a sermon and seen 3,000 souls saved in a day like Peter did. Or because you haven't been beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked in a prison just like Paul. No, each one of us is called to live according to the grace that Jesus supplies today. And the strength that he has given us for this day according to his grace. And when we are faithful in a little... God often delights in giving us more grace and strength so that we can serve him in even greater capacity. Paul says that Christ Jesus, our Lord, appointed him to service. Though formerly Paul was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. These are some strong words. A blasphemer is a person who speaks slanderous and evil words. It is to speak abusive lies about someone. A persecutor is a person who hunts down other people, someone who puts others to flight. And an insolent opponent is a violent man, someone who runs swiftly in order to hurt other people with great zeal. What caused Paul to describe himself or describe his former way of life this way? In Acts chapter 7, we begin to see the reason. Please go ahead and turn there if you can, and we'll read some from Acts chapter 7 and 8, um, and then we'll come back to 1 Timothy. At this point in church history, Jesus has ascended into heaven after his ministry on earth was complete, and the Holy Spirit has come upon the believers in Jerusalem. The church is growing rapidly, and deacons or servants of the church become necessary to ensure that everything is done done orderly. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, is one of the first deacons appointed to serve the church. God gifts Stephen to serve. And Stephen goes out and serves the Lord in the strength that he had been given. But then Stephen is arrested for speaking of Jesus and is brought before the religious leaders in Jerusalem. When asked by the high priest if he was guilty of proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. And from Genesis to Malachi, he sums up the entire history of Israel and proclaims that in that entire time, Israel had just time after time been a rebellious and stiff-necked people. Let's pick up the account in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Stephen ends his verdict to the religious elites with this, uh, with this. He says in verse 51, you stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced before him the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they, the religious leaders, heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they, the religious leaders, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, which is Paul's Jewish name. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This level of persecution is difficult for us to imagine. I'm not aware of anyone here today that has experienced this type of persecution. Where religious zealots are literally going through the entire town, door to door, identifying anyone who claims the name of Jesus and then dragging them off to prison for trial and probable execution. This brings to mind the modern day atrocities of the Taliban or ISIS. But we're not speaking here of Muslim extremists. We're speaking about the former life of the Apostle Paul. He was a blasphemer. He spoke slanderous, evil words against Jesus and his followers. He was a persecutor. He hunted down Christians and put men, women, and children to flight. He was an insolent opponent. He was a man of violence, running swiftly with great zeal to hurt the children of God. But praise be to God, Paul's story does not end there. As he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of God's mercy towards him. When God shows mercy, it is typically describing how God has pity on us and does not give us the due consequences of our sin. Instead of killing Paul and casting him into hell on the spot, which was his due consequence of his sin, instead God had pity on Paul, seeing Paul as a spiritually blind man. Paul speaks of this in Romans 10, beginning of verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, speaking of those who follow the law of Moses, the, the Israelites and the Jews, My prayer for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness. I testify that they have a zeal for God. They were zealous, but not according 
to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In Timothy, Paul says he was one of these people, a follower of the law and trying to accomplish righteousness through their own goodness and strict obedience to a set of rules. But as we just saw in Romans, it doesn't matter how zealous you are if you reject God's righteousness, which is only received, which is only gained through Jesus Christ. There is much zeal in our world, but most of it is not according to the knowledge of the truth. At best, ignorant zeal ends in vanity, nothing like a puff of smoke. At worst, some find themselves persecuting the family of God in their zeal. Jesus foresaw this when he told his disciples in John 16, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Zeal does not equal truth. Next, Paul says that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Grace is closely linked to mercy, but is not the same. Mercy is God withholding what we truly deserve, judgment and death. But grace is giving us what we truly do not deserve, forgiveness, peace with God, favor, blessing, life. Paul says the grace of the Lord overflow for or toward him. And he was given the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to the book of Acts and see how this happened in Paul's life, beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, But, Paul, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus called Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. 
And he has seen in a vision a a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And then look at verse 20, it says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Praise be to God for his mercy and grace. Praise be to the Son, our righteousness. Paul is so moved by his own conversion that he can barely contain himself in the next three verses. He proclaims in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. To be among the Jewish religious elite, which Paul had been, And then to call yourself a sinner was shocking. But to claim to be the foremost, which means to be the first, he was the first among many to run to sin. The worst of sinners. To claim that was completely unthinkable. And Paul does not say that he was the foremost He says, I am the foremost of sinners. Paul is not saying that he is still continuing in the same sins of persecuting the church. Instead, he is proclaiming in humility and all sincerity that that as he looks back over his life, he is still to this day unworthy of mercy, unworthy of grace, void of any righteousness of his own daily in need of the Savior. We never graduate from the gospel. The good news of the glory of the blessed God, the good news of the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of God and God alone. That righteousness that can only be gained through Jesus Christ, His Son. If you are sitting here today, And you are thinking in your heart, but I'm a pretty good person. I would say I'm a good person. I don't lie, cheat, steal, murder, or break the law. I work hard and provide for myself. I'm polite to everyone and do right by my family. I'm not like other men who roam the streets lazy and unwilling to work, or who riot and burn tires in the street, or who sneak into farmers' houses and murder them in their sleep. 
I'm not like those men. Surely God looks down on me and accepts my righteous life. Surely God will accept the good that I have done and welcome me into his heaven as someone who lived according to his laws. If that is the condition of your heart today, then Jesus responds with terrifying words to you. Jesus says to you, I didn't come for good people. On the day of judgment, every person who pursued goodness on their own will stand before God on their own. In Luke 5, verse 31, Jesus says these words to some other self-righteous people. He says, those who are well, those who are well have no need of a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, the good, but sinners to repentance. He came for sinners. What a terrifying condition to be in, to be so proud of heart that you think you are not really not truly in need of the great physician, the healer of our souls. You may ask, what is God's definition of a sinner? A sinner is a person who has failed to love God with every fiber of his being for every moment of his existence. A sinner is a person who has violated even one of God's laws. To speak even one lie, to have lust in your heart for one moment, to take even a single fruit from a single forbidden tree. Because God is perfect, those who want to abide with Him, who hope to abide with Him, must be perfect. But the sad truth is that even as a young child, each one of us has amassed such a debt of sin that it was inconceivable how it could ever be paid. The first step towards God is not so much a step we take as much as it is falling down on our faces in humility and repentance before the judge of the universe that we have offended Paul's declaring that he remains daily at the foot of the cross, aware of his unworthiness, humbled by grace, strengthened by, by, sorry, humbled by mercy, strengthened by grace, filled with the faith and love that only comes through Jesus. If you are aware in your heart of your need, Broken by your own sin before a holy God, aware of the disease of sin that plagues your soul, then Paul has good news for you. He says in verse 16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him. For eternal life. In layman's terms, Paul says, if Jesus had enough patience for me, the first among sinners, the worst of all, then he has enough patience, mercy, grace, and love for you. 
If you admit that you are in need of a physician because of the brokenness of your own attempts at goodness, then Jesus says the most beautiful words to you. He says, I have come for you. I have come to call sinners to repentance. Turn from pursuing the sin of this world and pursue me in faith and love. In verse 17, Paul breaks out into praise of this God that would save the chief of sinners. He proclaims to the king of the ages, the ruler and owner of all things for all times, who is immortal, which means undying, imperishable, who is invisible, that's unseen, dwelling in unapproachable light. The only God is to be alone and without equal or competitor. To him be honor, which is to accurately value him as most precious. And glory, just to praise him as infinitely beautiful and worthy. Let this be done forever and ever. That's now and forevermore, in this age and all ages to come. Amen. Truly, so let it be. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices, hopeless as we deserve. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have made us alive and that you are guiding us into the truth, that you are guiding us as we seek to follow our Lord. God, I pray that if anyone sitting here today is without the righteousness of Christ, Anyone sitting here today has not repented of their sins and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith that they would do that today and that none would leave here today without being washed by the blood of Christ. Would you accomplish that today? Lord, would you please bless now as we share in the the Lord's table communion, as we remember what you have accomplished for the glory of your Father in obedience and for the good of your people. Thank you for your body that was broken for us, for your blood that was shed. Thank you for suffering for us so that we might have life. Thank you that we get to gain the blessed God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.